Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis Codename Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here, and that makes this stuff they don't want you to know. It's our weekly listener mail segment. We have some uh, adventures ahead for you, some harrowing ones, some disturbing stories. Parts of this segment, spoiler alert, may not be suitable for all audiences. There are some at times graphic descriptions of violence here, but we have something that goes to the edge of science. There's something that has, dare I say, some shades of uh, of Wim Hof involved. Uh, and, and Matt, in our previous uh, segment this week in Strange News, we got so rabbit-holed that we only did like two we only did two topics we went a little deeper on them than we normally do uh but we ended up with you saying you volunteering to hold over your strange news for the next segment with that in mind sir do you want to kick us off on lister mail this is just because i know this is a story that fascinates us both sure 
This is, as you said, a story more so in a lot of ways than a topic. So let's just let's listen to the story and then we'll talk about it. Gentlemen. Hello. First, uh, let me get this out of the way. My name is David. I'm calling you from Indianapolis, Indiana, and you definitely have my permission to use my voice or anything you want in any way, shape or form on the air or otherwise. I'm currently listening to your classic episode on the future of death, and I have a few things I'd like to throw in the pot. In the 90s, I was on a camping trip, and long story short, was exposed to extreme hypothermia. I died. I was dead for almost 14 minutes. Um, Had to be airlifted out. Had to have my heart restarted. Um, Still have scars from the paddles. That's fun. But the point of this story is um, I was raised Catholic in a very religious family and uh, had already kind of eschewed that whole belief system. But the sum total of my experience being dead was absolutely nothing. Like, I'd love to tell you that there was some great light at the end of the tunnel or I saw all my relatives and it was all happy, good, lucky, go time. But basically for me, at least, I have memories of beginning to freeze to death and then memories of waking up in the hospital, but nothing in between. Since then, I have gone on a very long and serious lifelong journey with psychedelics, mostly uh, psilocybin mushrooms, to further explore this experience. And I keep getting the same answer is that, yeah, um, once you're gone, you're gone, but that's okay. You're still connected to everything that's alive while you're alive and just be cool and make the best out of it while you can. Treat the earth and the creatures and everything around you, even the shitty people, the best you can, and that's all we can do because that's all you've got while you're here. I'm sorry if that's bleak, but uh, that's just my experience. Also, I just want to tell you that I have three favorite podcasts. You're one of them. I listen to you every single day. So thank you for all your hard work, gentlemen, and I certainly wish you the best and a wonderful new year. Peace. Peace. Peace indeed. Peace to you, David. Man, well, awesome. Thank you so much for telling us your actual death experience. Mm. Um, my goodness. You know, we on that episode, gosh, Ben, we might have to jog our own memories here talking about the future of death episode. But, mm-hmm. you know, we, we've talked many times about near-death experiences that have been reported. We've talked about, you know, concepts of what an afterlife life could be and various religions, various cultures throughout the world. Um, I have to say it's, I don't know. It's weirdly your, your message, David is reassuring in a lot of ways. It's also like you said, a bit bleak, but I like it that you ended with your current and future exploration of death and life, um, through the use of psychedelics that we talked about just last time on listener mail. Mm. Uh, I would just have to say, I've read a lot about hypothermia. I've never experienced hypothermia, 
And that is not something I ever want to go through or wish what? upon anybody else. My Why? goodness. It seems <laughs> awful. <laughs> yeah, it's. I, I'll be honest with you. It blows. It's not, it's not fun, but there's a lot of science here. Yeah. Oh, God. Oh, man. Okay, so you guys, stop me. It gets too weird with it, okay? Uh, first off, there's pretty strong evidence that humans were once upon a time able to hibernate. Uh, we don't see it. I'm, I'm just saying we don't see it so often now, but that species had a form of uh, hibernation or hibernative, if I could churchify mm-hmm. the word, hibernative capacity for uh, for some time. There was a paper just recently published called Hibernation in Hominins from Atapuerca, Spain, half a million years ago. And this uh, this makes a pretty solid case that human beings were once upon a time able to hibernate. Also, we if you look at just the body, uh, we have the ability to do it. And there are documented cases of people passing that bug limit, right? Like, remember, all the ideas like your brain cannot have oxygen or if your brain is deprived of oxygen for X amount of minutes, you will inevitably have cognitive damage of some sort. But this guy, you came back. David, you came back after 14 minutes. How is that possible? It's because of how quickly you froze. And there is, I'm just speculating here, but given that we know some of the scientific, the neurocognitive basis of what's called the NDE or near-death experience, is it possible that you just froze so quickly that your brain could not experience that? Like, like we can map the parts of the brain that are active and, you know, sparking and collabing with each other when people have a near-death experience. The, it's the left hemisphere of your brain will cause the type 1 thing, altered sense of time, feeling like you're flying, kind of like when you're asleep or you're falling asleep and you feel weightless. And then type 2, the right hemisphere, when you see and hear incorporeal, intangible things or sounds and music. So maybe... Maybe, without knowing more about your situation, maybe the temperature drop just happened so suddenly that your brain went into flash freeze. So maybe that's what happened. That's it's, a maybe. Yeah, yeah. I and we're not sure, but that would. Oof, no, no, thank you. Uh, if you go on any sites, you can you can look at the different stages of hypothermia, and it's you know it's just any time your body gets below ninety five degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, I believe it's thirty five Celsius to anybody outside of the U.S. Um, and you, you know, that doesn't seem like that big of a change, right? We walk around at like 98 degrees, 98.6 on average, just dropping three degrees, four Mm. degrees essentially can... You mean internal temperature, not your exterior. Yeah, internal, internal temperature, Mm -hmm. your, your, the, the gooey stuff that's inside you. Uh, well, it's the same, uh, gradation as like a, a really severe fever. It's just a couple degrees, you know? Sure, but and well, then it goes down to something to something that David probably experienced, which is probably in the lower to mid eighties, maybe even lower, uh, lower than eighty degrees Fahrenheit, twenty eight Celsius. Uh, that's when you are have really really dangerous situation going on where your heart likely will stop if you're exposed to or if your body remains at that low temperature. And man, 
can only imagine. Uh, I'd love to hear more about what happened, like how how it occurred, David, so Ooh. we can have kind of a cautionary tale for all of us who like to go camping, even when it's kind of cold outside. And, and you're really lucky, too, because if, and again, David, I'm just freestyling a bit when I'm just tracing the possible interconnections between sudden oblivion, right? And what we understand the brain to do in many, but not all cases of near-death experiences, uh, the light switch just may have flipped too quickly because of, because of the plummeting temperature. Um, one thing, however, you're very, very fortunate in that you have not sustained heavy kidney damage because a lot of times when people are like, I suspect what may have possibly happened is that for a time your body entered a state of torpor, an emergency state of hibernation. There are documented cases of this happening. One of the big dangers then is if someone enters this state and they're brought back, there can be extreme damage to various bodily systems. So, you know, all of us, we're so glad you are alive, man. And even more so that you have been taking this journey into thanatology or the acknowledgement of mortality, which is one of the great questions, right? That's unanswered in a universally accepted way. Isn't it? We always have to say that, right? The question of mortality and death in the afterlife is unanswered in a universally accepted way. There are many, many people who feel like they definitely know the answer, but there's not one that everybody agrees with. There probably won't be for a while. Um, but with all that being said, you know, do you guys think it makes you wonder, do you think the manner of trauma impacts the end of life experience? Oh, it's it, dude. Now that is a great question because mm-hmm. it all lies in whether or not the brain itself is has any part in you know taking you to the other side, or if it's completely separate. Is it a soul thing? You know, is it a separate entity from your body that actually moves on if there is an afterlife? Or are you just experiencing brain death, like and it happens at varying you know speeds? Something mm-hmm. like freezing to death is more of a slow process than say getting a bullet to the head, right? I mean, so you have time to experience your brain like shutting down, and that must be a pretty psychedelic thing to experience. Whether or not you could call that transitioning out of your body in a soul type situation, either way, a slower death like freezing or even drowning uh, would—I mean, you'd eventually pass out, I imagine. But we would imagine that. That would be a much more, um, I guess, synesthetic kind of experience where I would imagine that everything would become very vivid and you would probably really start to think in a way almost akin to like an acid trip or something where your, your neurons are firing differently as they're basically suffocating. We, we talked about, is it hypoxia where lack of oxygen, lack of oxygen causes you to hallucinate and... Right. You experience yeah. a lot of these things where you eventually do uh, die. I would say drowning is a very different experience from just, you know, having a lack of oxygen due to altitude or something. But Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it can definitely cause hallucinations um, in seniors. And it's not just feeling like you can't breathe for a while. I, from what I understand, it's like system-wide lack of oxygen at the tissue level in your brain. Right? Exactly. Exactly. But the ultimate question there, Ben, is like, how do we figure out if there if there was an afterlife and you mm-hmm. were setting out to prove it, as countless individuals have 
over the course of of centuries and millennia trying to prove that an afterlife exists and what it may or may not be. We don't have the tools or the methods, the physical methods to test something like that, that is either occurring deep within the brain somewhere or, you know, in a realm that is currently inaccessible to us if there is some kind of actual place, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. That's, God, I just want to, I just want to explore this topic more, uh, immortality, the search for the afterlife, all of that stuff. And I want to hear more from David. I want to hear more from you, dude. Absolutely. Yeah, agreed. Uh, last question. What's the, oh, flatliners. Do you guys want to do yes. a flatliners thing? No, what, are you no. guys, what are you guys no. doing later? No, 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 no. You're talking about the seminal uh, Kiefer Sutherland uh, 1980s film with, uh, yeah. what is it? Well, the woman who played Maid Marian in uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I can't remember her name. Elizabeth Mastrantonio. I always loved her name. Mm. Um, I mean, you guys know how I feel about celebrity but the uh but the idea of flatlining <laughs> i think is 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 great i i would be down to try it okay what okay i'll volunteer i'm dead I, wrong it was kevin bacon and julie roberts sorry good wait Kiefer sutherland was in it wasn't yeah he? yeah him too but it was Kiefer sutherland kevin bacon and julia roberts okay okay a pretty woman fame mm-hmm. uh all right so well i i don't want to be flip i am seriously interested in this because this research you know david it may be worth your time, depending on your inclination. It may be worth your time to reach out with your experience uh, to some researchers currently because people are still trying to figure out how to get folks safely to Mars or to other places beyond our moon and our planet. Uh, and frankly, we need all the help we can get. So you may you may be able to contribute to this research that's ongoing, which I, I think it's a beautiful thing to do so if you're so inclined. Yeah, dude, help us develop stasis pods, man. We need those. You know we need them, David. Let's do it. Mm, man, you're right, Matt. So many things to ask about. Can we freeze people and bring them back in a reproducible, scalable way, right? Well, yeah, and, and if, if what David experienced was actually... The coma, Ben, you mentioned it, but the coma like, or it is a coma, but it is a death-like coma, mm-hmm. uh, very much to the point where the body doesn't seem to be breathing, doesn't seem to be doing anything. It appears to be death, but it's actually a coma that the brain has put the body into rather than actual death. Is that what he experienced or was it full body death? I wonder how similar they are. I wonder how similar those two things are because I honestly don't know. Hey, what's a Princess Bride? Since I'm doing movie references, he's only mostly dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. But now, um, you know, there's nothing like that kind of experience. I'm sure you'll agree, David, uh, to make you realize what a precious and ephemeral gift life itself is at this point. And interestingly, uh, you know, the psychedelic experience is often referred to as ego death, uh, where you are losing the sense of self for a time and kind of experiencing this disassociation where you're able to kind of take a step back and see the big picture because you're not in your own head anymore. And that's, I just think it's interesting the the term death applied there as well. Wow. So, uh, So do yourself a favor, get out of your head, listen to this ad break, and we'll be right back. 
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the campaign moment right now, wherever you're listening. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. We have returned, uh, and now we are taking a turn into very dark water, something that may be familiar to longtime listeners from the YouTube days or from our Episode uh, Cannibals, Fact and Fiction. We, uh, we recently heard from Lucas. Here's what he had to say. Uh, hey, uh, my name is Lucas. Love listening to your show, and you can uh, use my voice. Wanted to let you guys know about a Japanese cannibal. He, I don't remember everything, but he was in France. He killed 
uh, a lady and ate her over several days. I don't know if he tortured her as well over those days, but um, he was tried in France. I don't remember the specifics, but some kind of legal thing happened and he was just kind of sent back to Japan, let go, didn't go to prison or anything like that and um, got to Japan and they didn't do anything. And so he's a free man right now. Uh, I don't, well, he might have died by now. But anyways, have a good day. Bye. Thank you so much, Lucas. Now, this is this is a hell of a switch from our first story in this segment. Uh, the Japanese cannibal to whom you refer is Isai Sagawa, or Isai Sagawa. Isai Sagawa is a self-confessed murderer, cannibal, and what's known as a necrophile. If you haven't heard that word before, it means exactly what you think it means. So, you're right, Lucas. He was uh, he was in France during the crime. He was a student at the Sorbonne in June of 1981, June 11th, while he was 32 years old. Uh, he murdered and then later consumed parts of the body of his classmate, Rene Hartvelt. Uh, he's a diseased, unclean individual. And in my opinion, should not have been allowed to live. However, his family had a lot of pull. They were powerful. His father was quite wealthy. So he had lawyers for his defense uh, after he was he was caught trying to dump the remains of the body in the lake um, after he'd kept it and was committing these various uh, these various troubling acts, um, abhorrent acts. So he was held for two years waiting trial while the backroom politics of international corruption are in full swing. He's eventually found legally insane, unfit to stand trial by a French judge. And so he's ordered to be held in a mental institution. However, he was, uh, he was deported to Japan, probably another finger of his wealthy father on the scale there. And he was committed to a psychiatric hospital, Matsuzawa Hospital in Tokyo, and then the psychologist who examined him there said that he was not insane, that he was cog- like he was aware. He knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing was wrong. He was motivated uh, by sexual impulses, and he also had the presence of mind to plan the murder and later degradation and mutilation of the body. In 1986, Sagawa checks himself out of the hospital on August 12th, and he has been free since that time in Japan. He has um, been a speaker at various events. Uh, he appeared in, um, think of like kind of a Skinamax pornographic film. Uh, he wrote books about his crime. Uh, he, for a time, wrote restaurant reviews. Believe it or not, this is all true. This is not even digging deep into his case. This is just what happened. He tried to teach at a French language school and almost got hired, but luckily someone had presence of mind um, not to do this. Uh, Sagawa's parents passed away in 2005. You can see that he 
made a very self-important and self-pitying interview in Vice in 2011. This guy is one of the guys on my list that I don't talk about much on air, but he is on it. Uh, He is currently alive. He's in his 70s. He will never see a day in court again. He will never see justice. He is unrepentant. Uh, He does meet the legal requirements to stand trial as a murderer. Uh, It was a miscarriage of justice in France. Everything you have heard in this story is true. If you would like to learn more, I suggest you not. Uh, I suggest you not eat. But uh, there is a documentary that's come out called Canaba, C A N I B A. It's a French U.S. production uh, that was scheduled to be released on July twelfth, twenty nineteen. So pre-pandemic. Uh, just to let you know how people interacted with this documentary when it was screened at uh, Venice Film in 2017, a ton of the crowd walked out. This is a evil dude who did everything he said he did, and he's never going to see a day in jail. Yeah. You know, I think the worst part, no, that's not the worst part. The worst part is what he did and how he's acted over all the years. The next worst part is how much celebrity he experienced after doing this grisly act and how, you know, there's so much art made about him because of how well-known the story became of how grisly the whole thing was. And Ben, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't he the guy that ended up publishing a story or drawings? What, what was it? What did he do? He has, he has art out. Uh, he was, he was in some adult entertainment, if you could call it entertainment. He wrote memoirs called In the Fog. He's written a couple of just terrible novels. His novels aren't good. Just to add that on there, in my opinion, his novels are trash as well. It's pretty interesting when you Google him, you know how like public figures come up with a little sidebar in Google. He is listed as a public orator. Really? Yeah. No way. Uh-huh. That, like, that, that, that's his little subhead. And then, of course, it goes into the cannibal stuff. But, yeah, I mean, and it, sa- it says it all. It's, you know, just, it's just an excerpt pulled from Wikipedia. But, yeah, he's listed as a public orator, not a serial killer cannibal necrophile. Although that it's, is on the first line of his bio. So yeah. it's, it's there. He's not a serial killer that we know of. Oh, fair enough. He's just a coward uh, with a diseased mind who should have long ago been dead. Uh, currently he's fed through a tube into his stomach. His health is ailing. He has chronic diabetes. Uh, he has to change hospitals a lot because of his, um, because of his physical health. Uh, his siblings are alive. His brother June said that the guy still gets the urge to quote, eat a woman every so often. And people thought people had like, you know, forgotten about him. Because he was out of the news. And these cannibal stories pop up every so often. Remember, there was the earlier um, European resident, I want to say maybe German or Austrian, who consensually consumed part of someone's body. They took out an ad. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, this is different because this is this is homicide. There is no obvious – it's weird that we even have to say this. There's no consent. Um, the biggest conspiracy is how, how he got away. You know what I mean? There had to be bribery involved. 
because ordinarily someone like this would not would not have been extradited. They, if they were alive today, they would be in prison, not in a psychiatric hospital, not in an assisted care facility or something like that. Uh, but he became, you know, oddly enough, this is something uh, listeners in Japan, maybe you can you can tell us a little bit more about, but he became oddly enough a um, a kind of infamous celebrity mm-hmm. in the country, you know. Yeah, there's a list of documentaries profiling him, and the names kind of say it all. Cannibal Superstar uh, from Swedish television from 1986. Excuse mm-hmm. Me for Living from Channel 4 in the UK in 1983. The Cannibal That Walked Free from Channel 5 in the UK. Interview with the Cannibal from Vice from 2011. And Cannibal, the, the film that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, you know, our heartfelt condolences to the family of the victim. Um, obviously you could tell I am not, I think being objective in this case, I've been fascinated with this person for a while, just because they got away. They completely got away. There are no consequences. What they took a vacation in a psychiatric hospital for a time. Um, you know, honestly, Lucas, there's not, a ton more to say. I think we looked at him a little bit in our earlier work on cannibals. Uh, happy to report that the vast majority of cannibalism that occurs in the human species currently is going to be either symbolic cannibalism or it's going to be ritualistic, spiritualized cannibalism. Aggressive, non-consensual acts of cannibalism like this are the products of two things, really. One, survival cannibalism, picture the daughter party or the rugby team in Alive, or two, uh, the acts of animals that should be put down, in my opinion. And I'm not saying, like, I know there's a very hardline stance to take, and I generally have problems with the way the death penalty is instituted. Uh, the death penalty in Japan, by the way, just real quick on this one, is interesting. If you get death row in Japan, and they do have the death penalty, they lock you up, and they don't tell you when you're going to ride the lightning. They just one day they come in, that's, and they that, say today's that, that's, the day. Wow, that's uh, almost a form of uh, psychological torture, there, isn't it? Oh um, yeah, yeah. But by design, I'm sure. I have to say this: this makes me think of this. This whole story has elements of some of uh, two films that I really enjoy. Just the idea of there is something to be said about. Uh, how a, a person like this could become such a, a, a celebrity type, right? Um, and there is a film from 1992. It's a Belgian film called Man Bites Dog uh, that's about a serial killer that's followed around by a film crew. And it's sort of like filmed like a documentary uh, where they kind of like film all of his like his crimes and then eventually become complicit in it because that is kind of what the media is. They sort of can become complicit in, you know, elevating figures like this to that kind of almost like uh, demigod status. Um, and then another one that I think is pretty divisive, but, but does a similar thing is natural born killers. Uh, the Oliver Stone movie um, from right around the same time. I think it was right around 92 or 93. Uh, but that's also an excellent commentary on like how the media can kind of like create this bloodlust in uh, the audience and like people who, who really like live vicariously through these types of things. So on the last note here, 
with Sagawa, there was an interesting observation by one Makoto Watanabe, who was an associate professor of media and communications at Hokkaido Bunkyo University. Uh, Watanabe says the following, which is an interesting snapshot into Japanese society. And for listeners uh, who reside in Japan or uh, if you speak the language, we'd like to hear your insight on this. Watanabe says, Sagawa was never forced to take responsibility for his actions, but because he was never found guilty, because he was insane, remember, then in the eyes of many Japanese, he was not responsible. The sense was that it could be overlooked and things could go on smoothly. Nobody wanted to raise a voice against a decision to hire him. How interesting and how somewhat, um, how, how different that is in comparison to U.S. society. There are some crimes for which you can be accused that will ruin everything. Uh, your associates, your livelihood, so on, uh, even if they later turn out to be categorically untrue. And we're not taught. I know everybody's mind jumps to sex-related crimes at that point. Sure, fine. But we're also talking about crimes like embezzlement and so on. This guy admitted that he killed a living person, ate parts of their body, and defiled their corpse, and everybody's saying, oh, well, I guess he wasn't legally uh, convicted, so we can just move on. We wouldn't want to discriminate against them. This is the kind of world we live in today, folks. And this is, this is one infamous example, but again, not to dunk on Japan, there are other cases of people like this. The issue is that they usually, when they're caught, they go to jail and they go to prison or they take their own life because they know what's on the way. Uh, this person is at the end of their life and we are at the end of this segment. It can't end quickly enough in both cases, in my opinion. We're going to pause for a word from our sponsor. We'll be back with more listener mail. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. 
When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This episode is brought to you by Terminix. Terminix can't help you solve the world's biggest mysteries or take on alien life. At least not the ones you're thinking of. But they can help take care of pesky invaders in your home. Like the ants in your kitchen, the roaches under your sink, and the termites in the walls. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. No matter what type of pest it is, they can Terminix it fast with personalized pest care that puts you in control. Their expertly trained technicians may not know true crime, but they know their local pest pressures. And with customized plans tailored to your specific situation, you get everything you need to not just get pests out, but keep them out for good. Between their speedy service, caring technicians, and over 95 years of experience, it's no mystery why they're trusted by homes and businesses everywhere. So if you have a pest problem, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com to book online today. And we're back with our final listener mail segment of today's episode. This one comes from Amy. Uh, and I think the uh, subject line says it all. Alt-Right Pipeline Gaming YouTube TikTok. Hi, gang. Love the show. Thank you for all of your hard work and research. I was chatting with my college-aged 19-year-old daughter the other night. With all the news about the Capitol riot, we were discussing alt-right and where the heck they came from. Um, She mentioned something that is apparently very well known in her age group about the alt-right pipeline from gaming to YouTube to TikTok and the algorithm that connects or channels typically white young men to these groups. Have you looked into this or do you plan to? Um, I, I think the the short answer is this absolutely deserves. Uh, we have we've talked about the YouTube algorithm and, and the way that can be very. It can create some very interesting results because, like you said, Ben, uh, either on this episode or on the last one we recorded today, it is the job of sites like Twitter, like Reddit, like Facebook to keep people tangled in their ecosystem for as long as possible. So it, it behooves them to give people recommendations that are engaging, uh, and oftentimes divisive content is engaging. Whether you're just looking at it from kind of like a what's well, like a rubbernecky kind of you know um, just absolutely uh, curiosity kind of perspective, or which is how a lot of this starts. Let's not forget. Uh, but then you go down the rabbit hole after rabbit hole after rabbit hole, and before you know it, you could be indoctrinated. Um, and it turns out this is absolutely true um, that. Alt-right presences, we know for a fact they've used the internet with great success for radicalizing people and gathering followers and message boards and things like Stormfront websites uh, to various listservs and message boards and things on 4chan and 8chan that kind of get pushed off of more traditional uh, platforms like Facebook. But we also know that Facebook has cops to, you know, um, being less, having not enough oversight over these kinds of groups coming up. And now we're seeing the tide really turn on that with what's happened in, in Washington at the Capitol. And now all of these kind of hate groups being deplatformed with things like we talked about in the last episode, uh, like parlor. Um, and, uh, it, 
it begs the question kind of like, well, where are they going now? What's the next step? How do they kind of infiltrate these other things without being so overt about it? Uh, and the answer is exactly what Amy is talking about. They are trying to be a little more sneaky about it, and they're going on places like TikTok. TikTok, you may say? I thought that was for like lip syncs and funny dance videos. And yeah, of course, that's absolutely the bread and butter of it. But the thing about TikTok that's interesting is you can have a relatively small like following. Like my daughter, for example, loves TikTok and she has maybe like a thousand followers, which is a lot. I mean, like she's 12 years old. And, you know, I think that's pretty, pretty cool. And, and uh, she is very into it. And it's, it's a community. And she's like met a lot of interesting people her age that are into cosplay and stuff like she is. Uh, but even if you only have a thousand followers, you can have a video that gets circulated to like minded people through this algorithm and they can be viewed hundreds of thousands of times. Typically, you think of views being associated directly with, like, how many followers do you have? On TikTok, it doesn't quite work like that. So there's a really great article on um, the statesman, the, the, the new statesman, rather, called How the Alt-Right is Pivoting to TikTok. And the way they're doing it is by putting up memes and little scenes that masquerade as this, you know, kind of more traditional TikTok content, usually comedy or, or little skits, uh, and having it use veiled language um, that promotes racist, xenophobic, or homophobic content. Uh, and it's harder for the mods to grab. Um, and I think it's fascinating. And also places like Instagram, where a lot of um, kind of alt-right memes are shared, things like with Pepe the Frog, that are like a little harder to scrub for. They're a little harder to, to, to detect uh, because it's not overtly hate speech, but it is painting a picture of like a, a mindset. Another article I read on Vice uh, called How Alt-Right Memes Are Indoctrinating Generation Z, it's because it creates this thing, this system, this cycle, where if like a kid sees a meme that's in this style with the Pepe the Frog, maybe they share it, but then maybe they get called out for it. And what does that lead to? That leads to shame. That leads to, and what does shame lead to often? Anger, resentment of being told what to think, being told, you know, what to share. And so that cycle then can bring these Gen Z kids deeper into the cycle of indoctrination. Because they've been called out and they feel threatened and it just makes them double down. So mm. uh, it's really interesting. I actually was texting my daughter. Have you seen racist content on TikTok? And she said mainly in response to other people's content, uh, which would be like people of color, uh, cosplayers of color. That's her thing. She's all about this cosplay anime stuff. So she says occasionally she'll see response videos that people will do that are like making fun of or uh, demeaning or trying to humiliate um, cosplayers of color um, or non-binary or what have you. And because it's such a tight knit community, they come to each other's aid. They back each other up. They get those people kicked, but she, she does see it. And I, I don't know. It's, it's scary because the internet is so powerful. Information is so powerful and it's such a, tender age for a lot of these these kids uh, especially if they're in bad home situations and this is like you know giving them some kind of solace or some kind of sense of community you know it's scary and it's the whole deep platforming conversation it does seem that that works uh, it seems like when these groups like stormfront for example was deplatformed in that uh, godaddy the popular web serving um, provider took away their 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 uh, account 
um, and they got less of a reach as a result. So deplatforming does work. Even if it's a temporary ban, it means people will think twice before sharing stuff like that that got them banned because people use social media for all kinds of stuff. I mean, it's such a huge part of people's day-to-day lives that nobody wants to lose that privilege. So it does work, and I'm all for it. I don't know. What do, what do you guys think? There's some really interesting stuff coming out of Pew Research and a couple other places that are really looking looking at millennials and Gen Z and comparing the two and just kind of their general temperament about a lot of things. And one commonality that appears to be increasing is questioning the regularly fed narrative in anything. So what what is the official story? Well, uh, I as an individual would choose to look for an alternative to that official story. I'm kind of proud of that. <laughs> maybe we maybe we had a small hand in that. I don't know. Uh, but that feels like that feels like a good move, right? To be able to think critically about anything, even if it's the official story that's you know being told to you. The problem is that it makes each individual a little more susceptible to something that is alternative, right? Like vastly alternative, perhaps maybe a little on the edge or, or on the fringe. Um, so I, it, it does seem like people, the younger people who are using newer, you know, applications, newer platforms may be looking for a different kind of story and more way more interested in that than anything that you'd see just on the news. I think that's well said, Matt. Uh, one thing you might notice, this happens in friend groups a lot too, is that people like to be Promethean. We want to be the person who figures the truth out. We want to be the person who brings the light. You've probably had those conversations uh, where, you know, people are in a contest to be the person who knows the thing. Um, that's that's another iteration of this. I've been doing some digging into this. And Amy, I really appreciate uh, your letter here because uh, this is something that warrants an episode. There's some really interesting research coming out of the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. They started by breadcrumbing comments on what they called alt-light videos, which mm-hmm. could be gaming sources. Um, like, let's say, for instance, and this is not a this is not a real example. Let's say there's a Magic the Gathering channel, and the person or the personalities hosting that are also sort of sliding in some alt-light stuff, right? That's just a general term for something that might be alternative to the the official narrative people hear. Well, what this research found uh, after analyzing 3,300,000 videos on 350 different YouTube channels This was a system designed by the Anti-Defamation League. What they found is that they could trace the authors of 72 million comments on about 2 million videos between May and July of a single year. You can read about this in MIT Technology Review. And they found that more than 26% of people who commented on stuff that was like a little bit off kilter tended to drift over to further extremes in other videos. And the algorithm of YouTube specifically would start to tilt the scales as people searched for specific keywords. Uh, This work was presented at the 2020 Conference on Fairness, Accountability, and Transparency in Barcelona. But the problem is, what the research these folks found is, 
they're not sure exactly how this process, this pipeline works, at least the YouTube piece of it, because YouTube restricts access to recommendation data. It's their secret sauce. And if you have experience on the creator side of YouTube, uh, like, like Matt and I have done a lot with this, you're well aware of just how ardently YouTube protects that information because they don't want people to be able to radically game and break the system. But the bills coming due, that pipeline thing, it is real. Amy, it's not just something that you're uh, it's not something that your daughter made up. It, it is very much a real thing. There is quantitative data behind it, and it bears further investigation. I would love to make this an episode. Thank you so much for writing to us. And thank you so much to Lucas and David for leaving those amazing voicemails and giving us something to talk about. Um, always a pleasure doing these listener mail episodes with the best part of the show that is you. That's right, you. Absolutely. If you want to be like Lucas, David, and Amy, Check it out. Find us on Twitter or Facebook where we're Conspiracy Stuff. On Instagram, we're Conspiracy Stuff Show. If you want to check us out on YouTube, we are Conspiracy Stuff. Oh, yeah. And we hope you are swayed by the pipeline. Our channel will take you down. At least, well, wait, wait. I can't confirm that. I don't know what they're doing on YouTube right now, but hopefully it's good. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. You can, if you don't want to do that stuff, leave us a voicemail. That's right. You can call our number. Yeah, yeah. If you want to participate in a listener mail segment in the future, you can call us directly at one eight three three stdwytk You have three minutes. They belong to you. They are your own. All that we ask is that you, uh, like our illustrious callers, thank you again, Lucas. Thank you again, David. Thank you again, uh, Amy, for the email. Uh, just let us know whether or not we can use your name or your voice on air and also if you want to if you want to hit me up directly with something feel free to hit app and bull and hsw on twitter or app and bull and on instagram and if you wish you can find me on instagram at how now noel brown and if none of that quite bags your badgers you can always contact us directly 24 7 no matter when no matter where at our good old-fashioned email address where we are conspiracy at iheartradio.com Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. 
he says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax. Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix. With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem fast. If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T-E-R-M-I-N-I-X.com. Attention, true crime enthusiasts. Searching for a way to unwind after diving deep into the mysteries that keep you up at night? Look no further. Introducing Lazarus Naturals, your trusted companion for CBD relief. With a commitment to transparency, Lazarus Naturals oversees every step from farm to doorstep, ensuring purity and quality you can trust. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today and discover how CBD can help you decompress and recharge for your next investigation. That's LazarusNaturals.com. Lazarus Naturals, your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.